Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show, 10 years and growing. It's about family, business, work, and politics like you've never heard it before. Yep, it's true. There's more than just a touch of wry humor mixed in. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Folks, I am Mike Hewitt, co-hosts Miles Bauer, and imagine this, Miles Bauer, Ludwig von Wiedendorski has graced us in the studio. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you are here, right, Ludwig? Somewhat. Yeah, somewhat. That's probably accurate. That's fair. Listen, Miles, let's you and me jump right into this debate because the primary is already underway. Uh, President Trump has announced his candidacy. Are you on board? Have you endorsed him? Or are you going to wait to find out what the choices might be for this primary? Uh, I, I'm, uh, I've been on the Trump train. I will continue to be on the Trump train. Um, I, listen, I, I got to, I don't remember if I touched on this last week, but I, but I can't help myself. So there was an, there was an interview on the Johnny Carson show with then governor Ronald Reagan. And Johnny said, what do we need to do to get the big money out of politics? And Reagan said, we need to shorten the length of the of the campaigns. And so now we are in a different universe. And the moment that the midterm primaries uh, are concluded, we immediately start the presidential cycle. And that demands big money. And listen, it wears people out. I'm, I'm, and I'm not, that's not a negative against uh, Trump, uh, DeSantis, or anybody else, by the way. It's holy moly. I think folks need a break. What, what do you say on that, Miles? You know, staying informed with your government is a 24 7 thing. I know it's not fun. Um, and I guess you and I are weird because we track it every day, whether we're in a, off year or whether we're in a presidential year and you and I are constantly talking and texting about it. So, yeah, I mean, I can certainly understand political fatigue, but I think the moment that flyover country takes their eye off the ball is the moment when the elites will come in and start doing some very strange things to our rights. See, I think two things. I think you're first off, trying to bait me into doing my education rant before I planned on it. And then the other thing is, is the part you couldn't see because you Skype or when you zoom in from Chicago, the part you couldn't see when you said that you and I are weird was Jared over there nodding up and down like one of those, remember the dogs in the back window that his head bobbed up and down? I am. That was Jared. Evidently he agreed with that point you were making. And Lud, what did you think? Is this... Are we on the right path when we turn one campaign into the next? No, I, I think Miles is right <clears throat> in that you should pay attention every day. Yep. But that doesn't translate into an election the next day. Fox News already had the election 2024 graphic up. Right. Two days after this. We're, we haven't even had these people that have been elected take the oath of office yet. Right. And we're already in the next election cycle. Reagan's right. Uh, was it Fred Thomas? Um, I liked him. He got in late in 08. And this thing was, I didn't think you were supposed to get started really until Memorial Day. So, or after the first of the year or something. 
and they hate he was way late into the race. I think that Trump has never stopped. I think the January twenty first, he was already campaigning. Well, at the, you know, for the show, um, the show receives an average of about twenty five emails from the Trump interests every day, seven days a week, and I I think one of the articles in our in our show notes this week talks about how uh, contributors are are weary. They're they they're just they're just tired of it. And I and I think the folks are. I think what would be healthy. And again, Miles, this is not a shot at 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 Trump. And clearly, I agree with you on the point that that we have a civic duty to pay attention to what's going on in our government, local, state, and federal. That's a duty to me, not not a freedom, a duty. On the other hand, it'd be nice to sail through Thanksgiving and Christmas without a perpetual food fight. Um, that's that's. Listen, I. It has never been this like this before. It's really ramped up, and I and that's true, even within the state Republican Party, as you as you both Wait have heard me opine about. Go ahead, go ahead Miles. Wait a minute. Yeah, we, you and I didn't have a food fight back in '16. We did. I don't okay. remember. I don't think we started the day after the midterms were that year. I don't remember that. I will listen. No, we we have show he, notes. We can go back and look. No, no, no. I I certainly agree. But I didn't get on the Trump train that that early. No, that's uh, that actually is true. I think you were on the Trump train because that's about when you joined the show. Yeah, but I think by the time you were on daily, that you were on the train. But I remember early on, when you were not necessarily a big Trump supporter, so there was a t- <laughs> there was a time that you went through a, let's call it a reconfiguration. Uh, what is your thought, Miles Bauer, about Republicans divided as Trump kicks off his campaign? What 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 is that? As a Trump guy, how do you see that yeah. that? This is the same thing that we saw in 16. Remember the uh, listener to the show back then? She was in Chicago. And every time you would mention something about Trump, this was, well, I mean, you are a cruiser now, and you were a cruiser <laughs> back then. Yeah. But, but she, she would always dive on. I mean, she was, she was the beginning of the classic never-Trumper. Right, that's true. And, all, all we're seeing is that the never Trumpers are coming back. And even though a majority of Trump's endorsed candidates won, they want to say, oh, Trump's dragging the party down to the ground. Well, I mean, this is 2016 again. And, I, and, and apparently people's memories are just too short. I, I will tell you one thing, Miles, and this is, this is from my vantage point. You know, everyone has their own vantage point. I was a, a district chair for the state Republican Party back then. I am again, and still am, I should say. And the, what I saw within the party structure back then is not even remotely like what I'm seeing within the party structure now. Um, I, I've been in and around the actual state party structure for 20-plus years. I have never seen the animosity uh, and the internal, it is truly, literally a civil war where 
where both sides are counting their votes in advance of every convention and conventions that county conventions by the way that used to last for an hour an hour and a half some of them protracted out to two hours are now five and six hours long and a lot of folks are so intimidated they don't go that's a problem to me that's a crisis i'm not putting that at trump's door by the way just so everybody knows i'm putting that at the door of education because most of the anger that i'm seeing is the direct result of people not understanding our political process. Mr. Professor, what say you? We're over there nodding your head. <clears throat> oh, we're divided. We're divided more than we were. We, you, and I? <clears throat> no, no. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. He said something correct. Yeah. No, the, the party is uh, definitely more divided. Listen, there's a, there's a thought of the never-Trumper, there's a thought of the always-Trumper, and there's a thought of Republican. I think there's three different factions there. And uh, winnability. I, I agree, Miles, most of his candidates won. But when I look at a congressman like Bill Heisinger, who was going to win, regardless of Trump's endorsement or not, I'm not putting that in his winning column. I'm looking at like a John Gibbs or a, a DePernal. They did not win. Some of the more contested, heated the odds. Uh, we'll see what happens with Warnock. And, uh, but listen, let's get into some of those races. We've got to go to a break, folks. But when we come back, let's do a deep dive on two or three of those candidates you talked about. Folks, stay with us. We will be right back. Listen, some of the interesting things when we look back at this calendar year, the election that was midterms. And it goes to a couple things you said. I want to, I don't want to pick on John Gibbs because I like him, by the way. Mm -hmm. I really, I got to know him very well. For the folks that are not in Michigan, uh, he was our third congressional district candidate in the primary. He beat an incumbent, uh, which is, as you and I both know personally, that's a real challenge. So yeah. you got to give the guy credit. He he beat uh, Peter Meyer out. Peter, during his term, he only had one term. I got to know him fairly well as the district chair for that district. He had four votes that I considered repugnant. I really did. I'm I'm a, I, and I like him a lot. We get along. We genuinely get along well. We've had him and I lengthy conversations before and after three of those four votes that were over the top wrong, in my, in my opinion. Clearly, he disagreed. Here's the problem with it. Uh, John Gibbs was not going to win. There was never a question, can he win the general? It's just not possible uh, for him to win the general. And politically, him and I agreed on more things. Than I did with with uh, than I did with Peter Meyer. On the other hand, now we have uh, con- Congresswoman-elect uh, Scolton, and so for all the folks that said Peter Meyer has got to go because of those four votes, I promise you, you will not like a single vote from that hard leftist. She's not a Tip O'Neill leftist. She's she's 
She's not a mansion elect, uh, leftist. She is far left screwball. And you aren't going to like any of them. So the idea that you didn't like Peter Meyer, who could have won in the general, but you didn't like his four votes, so you threw him out and, and you elected an absolute numbskull. Good job. Good, yeah. good, good, good job. I don't, folks, I tell you, because I promised last week about, a, about an, an education rant. I'm not ready for it yet, but this stuff gets me fired up, Miles. You've known me long enough that I hear you giggling again when I'm oh, yeah. working my way into a frenzy. I'm telling you, it's about math. And I'm not the mathematician in this circle. Miles Bauer, you are. But when I looked at the math for John Gibbs, who was a Trump implant, by the way, Trump moved him to this district. And everybody in the district went, wait, the guy's a carpetbagger. Think about that for a minute. He's a carpetbagger. And he's, he's hard right in a district that after reconfiguration. Yes. Became hard, not hard left, Democrat plus three to five, depending on who's telling the story. That's exactly where you and I talked about this last week. We did touch on it. Yep. There were a lot of different factors. It wasn't just Trump. Right. This was the first election after the governors got to redistrict. Well, in, in Michigan... Uh, one of the ballot initiatives from the left was to set up a a non <laughs> I can't even say this without throwing up in my mouth a little bit, but a nonpartisan, unbiased, no no gerrymandering committee that was the worst gerrymandering committee I've ever seen. It goes to your point. Here's here's the the problem that I've got with John Gibbs. And and I wanna I wanna point out Yep. You were complaining, what was it, two years ago or four years ago when the marijuana thing was on the ballot? I did, yeah. Okay. Yep. Destroyed, so destroyed you, Renegade you guys River. saw the yeah. marijuana thing. Yep. You guys acknowledged that it affected the outcome, and then you saw the abortion thing go up. And then it affected I, the outcome. But, somebody should have noticed. Yep. Hey, the, the uh, Dems just aren't good. They're just putting stuff on the ballot that is attracting people who otherwise don't pay attention. Listen, you and I entirely agree on that. But let me ask you something. Do you think, how would you, where would you identify Gerald Ford when he was a congressman? Would you think of him as centrist, leftist, right wing? How do you see him? Uh, I, I, I will say this. I'm sure I will anger some Whitmer Correctional Facility inmates. <laughs> I, I think Ford makes Lude look like Lude stands on solid ground and is not squishy. That's how squishy I think Ford is. He, he was pretty, he would think of himself as apolitical or centrist. Is that right. fair? And the reason yep. I'm bringing him up again, because we did go down this path a while ago, uh, but the reason I'm bringing him back up again is that's the that's the, the district we're talking about that John Gibbs was moved to to take out Peter Meyer is the same district, generally speaking, that Gerald Ford was the congressman from. It is a center, maybe a center-right district before the change. But listen, no matter whether we're talking about D plus 3 or R plus 3, 
it's a pretty centrist district. It's always been historically, everybody that's ever sat in that congressional seat has been a pretty centrist Republican until now. And now we've got a far left screwball Democrat. And I, I'm not I'm not putting that at Trump's door. I'm blaming it on citizens, just so you all know. Anybody that walks in there and says, we need to get rid of Peter Meyer because we don't like those four votes, didn't sit down with a cup of coffee and have a long talk with themselves first. And now we've got a hardline socialist to represent us in D.C. And that's, folks, most of the folks hearing us are in some other state, so I, 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 folks have patience with us when we're talking about Michigan this way, but understand that this is taking place in almost every state in the union. Big battle up in Alaska, which is just more numbskull hard left stuff, where ballot initiatives battle drives fooled voters into thinking they were getting something that they weren't. I say about Michigan, we lost 2020 in Michigan, actually in 2018's redefinition of what a voter is, how a voter can vote, and how they're counted. That's when we lost 2020 in Michigan, was back with the marijuana drive that you brought up, Miles Bauer, and nobody sat and read that stuff. And by the way, folks, again, I don't care what state you're in, if you've got ballot initiatives that are allowed to change your constitution or your law in your states, do me a personal favor. Read the actual ballot language and then quick like a bunny, get the actual language of what is written and been approved by your board of canvassers or whatever other mechanism your state might use. Because what goes on the ballot is like a paragraph long and at best describes five, six, seven, eight pages of small print gobbledygook that doesn't even remotely usually match what folks think they're voting for. And then if you listen to the commercials that are used to drive these things, holy smoke, smack yourself on the forehead before you vote. It's that dumb. So folks are getting lied to, but it's their fault because they're not slowing down to navigation speed to figure it out. That's that's my opinion. I'm going to probably get a bunch of nasty grams. I I get it, but let's just take a dose of truth here. These things didn't happen to us. We voted for them. That's a problem. Am I, Miles, am I off base? No, you are totally correct. Look, um, to give you one, one example, Clinton started taxing Social Security back in the 90s. Right. And a certain individual called me up at the, at the beginning of COVID and said, hey, do you realize that they're going to tax my social security? And I was looking at this person cross-eyed going, <laughs> do you remember me screaming at the top of my lungs back in the late nineties about this is nutty Yep. for, for whatever reason, things don't become real until it comes to your front door. Boy, that's boy. That is the absolute truth. That's the old adage about, you know, there's no depression you know, unless you're the one that's unemployed. Listen, folks, stay with us. We've got to go to a break, but we'll be right back.
folks, if you're just tuning in, I am Mike Hewitt, co-hosts Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedemdorski. Uh, listen, before we jump back into the uh, to the snooze, as it were, uh, just a couple points of reference I want. Uh, I would invite everybody to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Please take a visit to the show's website, themikehewittshow.com. From there, you can most likely find a radio station near you to to uh, hear the show. We are broadcasting from our flagship station in beautiful Holland, Michigan, WHTC, 1450 AM and 99.7 FM. I genuinely have been inviting you to get involved with us. Send us an email. You'll find email links all over the pages of the MikeHewittShow.com. And if you're wanting to know who the three of us are, there's bios and pictures and all that stuff at the website. So take a take a look and then message me. Tell me what you think. Now I want to dive into a little bit of education. Jared, would you play that clip for me? Truism number two with Mike Hewitt, a lesson from our Civil War, the War of Feuding Partisans. Consider Kentucky. Its state government sought peace, believing the federal government violated states' rights, yet it remained in the Union. There were hotly contested opinions between towns, neighbors, and families. Sound familiar? Imagine Christmas before the Civil War for the Crittendons. Gifts, prayers, dinner, laughter, faith, and family. John Crittenden's father had served in the Continental Army, but his sons would be divided. One in the U.S. Army, the other in the Confederate States Army. Imagine their Christmas after. Old etiquette. Never discuss politics or religion in polite company. The echo chamber we call social media defies that axiom. It amplifies conflict on purpose. We're more divided now, but neither half of America is going to disappear. That truism demands consensus builders rather than trench diggers. If you're spreading negativity rather than seeking and sharing solutions, you're part of the problem. Find the Mike Hewitt Show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Listen, the reason I wanted to play that is I, I, I watch on social media almost hourly somebody yelling, we're a republic, not a democracy. And I think, no, actually, we're a hybrid. We are a democratic republic. And it causes me, Lud, I, I promised I was going to take a shot at you. Lud is a, you're a professor of economics, right? Yep. So this isn't your fault. But what I want, I, I, most things are. Well, I know. You just ask my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> boys, that's the truth of it. But listen, I my, I want to ask you a question. I think one of the things that we're missing in our culture, other than education in general, is education on, on civics. Um, when I was a kid, folks, just so you know, I'm heading to my 62nd birthday in another month or two. So I'm, no old jokes, Ludwig. Doesn't say that's it. But listen, when I was in school, Miles, this is, I believe, true for you, we had government class. And right. I understand. I am told by my grandchildren that they still have government class, and I ask them, "Okay, well, what do they teach you?" And nothing that they're being taught is about c- civics. It's a, it's not about parliamentarian procedures. By the way, it's not about the basic, the basic, the fundamentals of how our government works. Um, that that not how the the legislature works with the the executive branch, the judicial branch, that the legislature is built, broke into two chambers, an upper and a lower. Folks, the very things that I consider two plus two are absent 
And the problem with that is I mentioned earlier in the show today, and to your point, Miles, I mentioned it last week, and it's why I turned this corner today on this topic. When I watch the angry mobs at, at state conventions within the Republican Party, not just in Michigan, but in a number of states, listen, most of those people are really good people. They really are. They've got good hearts. They've got good intentions. They don't understand the process at all. And their lack of understanding causes them to think it's a conspiracy. It's all dark. It's behind the scenes. It's some big fat guy with a, a cigar and a glass of Chevish. Folks, it's none of those things. It's about votes. And you have to have a procedure. If you're in a state convention somewhere and there's 21 or 2,200 people there and you got to get them to agree to five items, there has to be a process to make those votes work. And that's where the parliamentarian side comes in. Um, the reason I'm talking about these things is these are basic things that you should have in your school curriculum. So Ludwig, as a professor in economics at a state-funded university, how many folks do you get, first-year students, that have a basic understanding of how our government functions? Percentage. <clears throat> um... Four percent? Four, four, five percent? Yeah. So you're saying pretty low. Yeah. Are you telling me then, I could I could verbalize that by saying the overwhelming majority is clueless. Yeah. Is that know. right? They have no idea. Okay, well, let me turn the other page, my other topic of, of importance. How many of them do you think could pass a basic American history class? Four to five percent. The same group. Mm -hmm. And here's the problem, by the way. Because Miles will tell you all that I was a terrible student. I, and I love American history. I'm just telling you. It lights my fire. I, I love it. I really do. But do I care what day Paul Revere rode on or that he only rode four miles and somebody else did 16? I want to know the drama and the story behind it. I want to know why he felt it necessary to do that. I want to know what that means to me. That's not how they teach it. They say, remember Paul Revere's name? What day did he... Re Nobody cares about that crap. <laughs> and then when they try to understand why we are where we are, they don't have a clue. Yeah. No clue. All of our founders were rotten, rotten racists. Well, Ben Franklin was one of the first abolitionists. A, a number of th them were. And you go, well, but, well, but we don't tell that story because that's not political. I'm tired of politics. It's fact. How about... How about the folks in school teach the facts and let the students make up their own mind about what that adds up to? That's amazing to me. They don't even know the difference between a congressman's purpose and a state and our uh, U.S. senator's purpose. No idea at all. None. None. Yeah, but, Go yeah, ahead, but Miles. You know what, though? I don't know that education today wants to teach critical thinking. They well, purposely don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They they just want to dictate to you that this is what. History is my my uh, son got an A in American history. Right. One day we were at the grocery store. He asked me, "So, Dad, what was the big deal about Reagan?" Right. This this is a kid who got an A in American history. Well, yeah, and has but, no idea why Reagan is my hero. But but most schools, and by the way, there's some good teachers. I'm not taking a shot at them, but the curriculum of most schools is social engineering. And it, and it makes us so we're heading into 
um, an unsustainable culture when folks don't have a clue why things are. And, I, and by the way, I'm talking to both sides of the divide. I'm not just, I don't have a partisan hat on when I say I'm concerned for the lack of the, the, the actual lack of, well, to your word, critical thinking. So there was this, I'm not Catholic, let me preface it by saying that, but I had a good friend that is a Catholic priest, and him and I get into this long conversation about education. He blamed it, blames it on the industrialists of the late 19th century. He said they didn't want critical thinkers. They wanted button pushers and lever pullers. So they look to Europe and say, how does Europe get an army of people that will stand out on a flat land and march into flying bullets? Go that way, boys, and they all did. How'd they get people that were willing to do that? He said, and that's the educational program that we've inherited. And then in the 20s and 30s, educated education started becoming um, a social engineering transmission rather than just that. But folks, the byproduct is what we see now. And I don't know that we're going to like what's at the end of this path, neither Democrats or Republicans. You got to brace yourself because, and I'm not ragging on youngsters, by the way. There's some brilliant, brilliant young folks that are either being miseducated or not educated about some hugely important things in the life of, of them and their, their children thereafter and what will become the next America. It's a problem. Folks, stay with us. There is a lot more. We'll be right back. All right, listen, as I, I got to tell you guys, I, I could go on about education for absolutely forever, and I've got to peel myself off the ceiling and get back to the business at hand. So U.S. single-family uh, housing permits plunge to COVID crisis uh, levels. And that's an article from ZeroHedge.com. But listen, whenever you see housing, new, new housing construction, when it drops off, so too does the uh, medium and light-duty pickup truck market. And when the medium duty and light truck up, pickup truck market falls off, so does the automotive industry in total. And I'm telling you these two things. First off, when I say it that way, yes, it's an absolute documentable fact. We've cycled it on graphs for the last 80 years. Every, they, if you put both laughs on a, uh, both lines on a big long graph, you'll find they, they it looks like they're glued together. Housing startups go up and go down with truck sales. They go up and down at the exact same time. If you want to look back at time and say, when was our economies the worst, track those two numbers. So now when I'm looking at these articles that are telling us housing is falling, I know that truck sales are falling. And, and by the way, truck sales have been light anyhow because we've given ourselves to China and rather than producing our, our own technologies here, they're producing our technologies there and saying, uh-oh, we got a problem. Folks, we've got a bumpy road coming. Ludwig, you're the economist. Am I, uh, what's your saying on this? No, it's all correlated. And with the Fed's lack of movement over the last year, it's just going to make this worse because we're going to have to see interest rates spike 
not just rise, spike, to try to get this problem solved. And that's going to also hurt the industry of the cars. So I was thinking about this this today, actually, was, you know, the interest rates in the 70s and 80s, 11, 12, 14%. But a car didn't cost you your entire year's income. Oh, yeah, it did. You can buy a car for 2500 bucks. Yeah, listen, listen, Lud, I was in the car business then. And so I got to I gotta correct <clears> you, but I will tell you this. If you were a, and we've talked about this in t- days gone by on the show, if you were a car dealer in 1985, mm-hmm. 86, 87, you were probably paying between 13 and 15% wholesale interest on your floor plan of several million dollars. Mm-hmm. Folks, you don't need to have a 10-key calculator to figure out that that's going to cost the dealership to either have to jump their gross profit through the roof to pay that cost or they're not they're going to go out of business. And in terms of the, the price of a vehicle, um, I, I remember Lincoln Town Cars because I sold a lot of them. That's a luxury brand. Um, but I get to use the math. The math is the math. Okay, so in 1990-ish, 89-90, uh, the average wholesale on a Lincoln Town Car was 18.4. The average wholesale on that same vehicle of equivalence now is 80 some thousand dollars. Yeah. Average income then was about that amount. Average income now, according to the feds, is about that amount. Yeah, I'm just telling you what the federal government says. They would never lie to us. Yeah, no. Miles, would the government lie to us? You could buy an S10 for five grand in 85. My dad did it. Yep. Today, to buy that a lightweight truck, as they want to call it, is $45,000. Right. That's not even equivalent to the same price increase of, of incomes. Miles That's eight times you. more. I, I Listen, I only spent 32 years in that industry, so you're way more versed in it than I am. But well, how about the industry? How about the income? It's just math. It is. I don't. I think you're, I think you're missing. By the way, I'm not pushing back on your point. I'm saying the math doesn't line up with what you're saying. I was in that era. I had to make an income. I had to support kids. Um, I, I wasn't a salesperson, but in most cases I was either middle or upper management in those dealerships. But at least that's true from 1990 forward. Um, Miles, what's your position on this leg of our conversation? You and I were screaming, what, a year or so back about all this spending is going to create inflation. Yeah, we we even once you introduce inflation, the only way the feds can fight it is by raising interest rates. Right. And you and I said, what was it, a year, year and a half ago? That Um, we are headed down a path of bad. First time you and I talked about that, and Ludwig did not agree with us. Exactly. No, no. March, April of twenty twenty was when he was waving the flags and you and I were on a march because I'm sad to say we were entirely correct, but we are correct still because it's going to get worse before you it gets better. You guys said hyperinflation. I said we were not in hyperinflation. That's well, the only difference. First off, we first off we don't that it, we, we did you did get lost on the definition of hyper. Having said that, we to this moment don't know what the real number of inflation is because they don't have food, housing, and energy put into those numbers. Yep. So every number that you hear of talking heads banter about is absolutely BS. It's nonsense. Yep. They might as well just arbitrarily, you know, throw a bunch of numbers in a box and pick one and say, 
because it's it's just nonsense. Well, that's what they do in econ. They pick out what they want to make their uh, argument valid. It's it's a joke. Yeah, listen, the, but I want before we. I don't want to run out of time before we move through this. Germany preparing for emergency cash deliveries. Bank runs an aggressive discon, uh, discontent. Aggressive discontent. Is that rioting, Miles? Is that the politically correct way of saying rioting? Yeah, or um, I believe, what what was it two years ago? Peaceful protesting <laughs> when Minneapolis was burning? Yeah, the city's on fire behind the guy, and he's talking about, oh, it's peaceful protesting except for all those buildings burning and the dead bodies. <laughs> but I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm very confused because we've been sold a line of goods, and the midterms would suggest a lot of people bought into it about alternative energies. So I'm thinking, how can they have riots ahead of winter power cuts? Winter power cuts, what seems wrong with that? How can they have aggressive discontent over winter power cuts with all of the alternative energy that they've got? Germany is the leading, The leading. Uh, we're all supposed to look to Germany and emulate what they're doing with alternative energies. It looks like it's working out very predictably for them. Yeah, I was going to say, did you did you see that uh, the Germans are now cutting down forests to stock up on wood? Yep. yep. For for heat. And well, wait a minute, I thought we we're doing this for the environment. How is cutting down all these trees helping the environment? Well, when they're not cutting down trees, they're working overtime to reestablish their coal industry. Right? Literally, folks, you can look it up. You can Google it. So they're chopping, chopping, chopping like it's 1920, and they're digging, digging, digging like it's 1920 uh, because they got on the wrong train, to use your analogy. I, I don't know. I when I when <laughs> Next next one. It's going to be a lot more expensive to heat your home this winter. This is from Time Magazine, by the way, time.com. There's one I source all the time, Miles. <laughs> I was going to say, you still have a subscription <laughs> to that, right? <laughs> I... But listen, when I read these, I forget, I'm not, I'm not whining about the midterms, but I don't know how folks buy into this nonsense. I really don't. Everywhere you look, we've got a, there's a crisis in the world over countries, governments switching, switching themselves away from this old dinosauric, you know, nonsense. And, and they're buying into things that don't exist. And people are going to suffer for it. The economies right. are going to suffer. But there's going to be people frozen to death over it. Right. I, I don't know how that's morally acceptable to the majority that people die in the interest of this. I, I, I just, folks, it's not a partisan thing. I genuinely don't know how this is morally acceptable for folks to point to a windmill that doesn't work knowing that people will be freezing in their homes. I don't get that. Right. 300 years from now... The waters are going to raise an eighth of an inch. And the way to stop that is for you to freeze in your home this winter. Go, what? That adds up for somebody? I don't know, Miles Bauer. You you are the, the uh, scientist among us. Ludwig is the economist. I'm just the, you know, just the, uh, the lay person in the group. But I don't understand how this makes sense to people. Honest, I don't. Education. Did I mention well, education? So, you know, keep in mind, though, and, and we, we pointed this out before, Al Gore thinking the oceans are going to raise has got an oceanfront home. Right. That he gets to right. with his private jet. And I bet that his heater is going to work. 
th- this winter. Um, yeah, I, I think you may be right. Listen, we're down to seconds, so i got to ask everyone, uh, just like I said at the, at the mid-break mid, uh, for the show, please take a look at the MikeHewittShow.com. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcast, whatever works best for you. That tells you that you can take us wherever you go, catch up. If we said something you don't you do agree with or don't agree with, go back and replay it. In the meantime, please, please, please be safe. Everybody, thank you very, very much for joining us today.